right. Hey. Gonna get rolling here. So if you've been coming around to H2O for a little while, you know that one of the things we like to do is, is get to know one another and kind of our stories and our spiritual background. Um, it's part of doing life together. And so, um, so sometimes we'll take a segment, a portion of, of Sunday morning, we'll have someone get up and, and tell their story. And so this morning... We are going to hear from Justy Ware, and we're going to do an interview, all right? I'm going to interview her and ask her all these intriguing questions, and so, and I promise I won't switch up any questions on you. So, so tell us a little bit about your life um, growing up from a spiritual perspective. Um, I kind of grew up in the church. Um, we started going to the church that I attended my whole childhood when I was about five. Um, when I was seven, I was baptized at that church, um, but mainly because my older brother got baptized and he got a lot of presents. Um, so I also wanted the presents. Um, so I got baptized, um, kind of went on different mission trips, different youth trips, um, all of that. Um, and then when I was 17, um, there was a lot of hurt that happened um, in that church um, and a lot of, a lot of wounding. Um, and so I, I stepped out of that church. Um, I walked away from God um, and church in general for mm, four or five years, I would say. Um, and then, you know, got back into it after I graduated college. Um, but if you, if you asked me, like, hey, are you a Christian? I would have said, mm, kind of. Um, but, you know, like, I, I believed in God, but I didn't really live like he existed. Gotcha. Okay. So um, prior to, now this was up in Ohio, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Another Ohio <laughs> person. Oh, yeah. We are everywhere. <laughs> the state, if you go up there, it's empty. There's nobody there. They've all come down here, right? <laughs> exactly. So, um, so then you came down here. Tell us where you were at kind of spiritually, emotionally, before walking in the doors of H2O? Um, I have tissues. Yeah, we do. <laughs> um, I, think, I think rock bottom would have probably been the understatement of the century. Um... At that point, um, I had just gotten out of a two-year relationship um, that moved me from Ohio to Florida. Um, that had ended um, in this life that, that I had built, um, that I thought I wanted and needed, um, kind of flipped over on its head. Um, and it was, it was a lot of me arguing with God and yelling at God and, and just working through the hurt of, of the life that I thought that I wanted um, and not really the life that, that God had planned for me. So um, I was very, very broken um, before H2O. 
So why did you end up coming here? How did um, that happen? After, so after my life um, imploded, um, for some reason, um, I felt like God kept telling me, hey, like, I didn't move you to Orlando um, just for this broken heart. Um, there are, there are going to be greater things that come out of this. Um, and so I moved into a little 500 square foot studio apartment with my 70 pound dog. Um, <laughs> it's tight. Um, <laughs> and um, I, I was just like, okay, like I don't know anybody here. Um, how about I try a church? Um, so I Googled churches near me um, and H2O was the first one to pop up. Um, and I fought it for a month or two. I was like, no, I'm not doing that. Um, and then it just, it just kept, it just kept coming back up. And then I walked in and I didn't leave. <laughs> so since being here, how do you feel that God has changed you? What's happened? Um, he's changed my whole entire life. Um, it's it's hard it's hard to explain um, kind of everything that that he has done. Um, but I'm I'm slowly realizing that um, it's okay to be me, um, and that it's okay to be vulnerable. And that tears um, are okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Just being authentic, really, yeah. and being real with that. Yeah. Prior, this isn't this isn't one of the questions, Dang it, but Jim. prior, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, in the past, then that probably wasn't part of your experience, where you felt like no. I could be real with who I am and how I'm feeling. No, um, I think one of my biggest fears in life is is getting close to people and then having them leave. Yeah. Um, that's always been something that I've struggled with. Um, so my kind of philosophy was, well, if I don't let these people see yeah. who I actually am, then it doesn't matter when they leave because they don't know anything about me. Right. Um, totally makes sense. Yeah. 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 See, <laughs> you weren't even prepared for that question. And she's like, oh, I got this. Well, because it's life. That's the stuff that you're learning. And that's really, really important. Um, what would you say specifically or practically has helped you grow in your walk with God since you've been here? Um, just this general, like, community, um, my life group, um, being vulnerable, um, really allowing myself to feel things um, and kind of feel the hurts of life um, without um, numbing them with, with various drugs um, and all of that. Um, just, just feeling and vulnerability and authenticity and a lot of prayer and that's awesome so it sounds like community and relationships with people has been a huge part of what God has used yes. in your life that's awesome very much so that's great wow.
Thank you, Justy, for really even just demonstrating the authenticity and the courage it takes. Um, and that's one of the things about living in community and that God has designed the church for is that it should be a safe place where people can be real about their lives. And I've always felt like um, the church, in some cases, has missed out on that. Um, I've got a friend who uh, struggles with alcohol. Um, he's an alcoholic, and so we were up in Boston, and I went to an AA meeting with him, and by the time, you know, it was like 6.45 a.m., it was early morning, and there weren't a lot of people there, and by 7 a.m., there were about 120 people there. It was packed, and it was like a who's who in the city, and, you know, it was cool because he said, Jim, the thing about this group of people is that it is automatically assumed that you are messed up when you walk in the door. And I thought, man, that is what church should be like. Like, automatically assumed, like, let's just be real, guys. We are messed up. The world has done a number on us. We're living in a fallen world, and we're going to acknowledge that, that it's done its damage and it's wounded us. But then there's this thing called community and the gospel that Justy shared there, how that changes this identity that imprinted us early on with a bunch of garbage that isn't true. And so what an incredible story. So, Justy, thank you for sharing that with us. So um, I am going to hit my timer here. Because I bring this up with me on Sunday sometimes, and I forget to hit the button. It's crazy. Anyway, so we are headed into part four of our series titled Unashamed. And our kind of introductory text that we used is John 20, 21. It says, and this is Jesus talking, Peace be with you, even as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And that is for us, that Jesus is sending us out into the world. So last week we delved into the beginning of the book of Luke and we talked a little bit about how he was wired. So he was this loyal follower of, of Jesus who was maybe not an emotional follower of Jesus as much as um, more of a measured analytical thinker. He was a physician and he said that he carefully investigated things uh, and then kind of chronicled those things for us. And he wanted others that were reading that to be certain that those things that they were uh, discussing or these stories about Jesus, to be certain that those were true. So that was important for him. And that kind of emerges from his gospel. So as we continued talking last week, we, we said that um, there are incredible minds out there that are now following Jesus and that have become really convinced that the biblical account of human history and the human story is the most reasonable explanation for the world that we live in. And furthermore, that the gospel 
like Justy had shared there, is the message that all of us need and desire and long for. Whether we know it or not, deep down, that is what we were made for. The things that the gospel answers, like meaning and purpose, to know where we came from, where we're going, to be known and to be loved in that, to connect deeply with others, to not isolate ourselves and live life alone. Um, Even this desire that we have for life to not end, for it to go on forever. And then to live in a world, I remember as a little kid, even thinking, man, life, it would just be so different if everybody just loved and served and forgave one another. When you look at social media and see people complaining about the world, you can see there is this thing that surfaces where people desire that kind of world, where individuals love one another, serve one another, and forgive one another. And that is exactly this new kingdom that Jesus was talking about. So these are the deepest longings of the heart. And the gospel, boy, the good news is that it speaks right to these things. Origin, meaning, purpose, destiny. The big cosmic questions of life, the gospel speaks right to them. Now, one of the things that I love about Scripture is that it wasn't just spiritual theory and good religious thoughts that, you know, were helpful, but rather there was this move from spiritual ideas to reality and experience, okay? It was seated in reality and experience. So, how many, um, how many here have golfed before, okay? What did you say? Gross? Gross. It is kind of, yes, gross. Mini? That counts. Oh, totally. Yes, yes. Congo River Golf? Totally counts, yeah. All right, so um, if someone has ever told you how to swing a golf club, have you ever had someone give you instruction? Right, it's terrible. And then you actually try to swing it, you try to swing, right? And none of it translates, does it? No, it is. So you can watch videos, you can study the golf swing all you want. You may even be able to learn everything about it, the physics, the mechanics of it. But it really doesn't get real to that first night that you're out with your friends at Topgolf, right? And immediately you hit that first ball and you're like, this sport sucks, okay? It's impossible, it's so frustrating, Um, it's almost impossible to master. It is in a lot of ways. Um, Theory... And then reality, like a lot of times, they just, boy, they're two very different things. And there's something very different about taking theory and then making it practical. And that's what I love about the biblical authors like Luke and John here that we're going to talk about a little bit, is that they discuss theology for sure. Their ideas about God and what Jesus had communicated to them, um, they investigated those stories surrounding Jesus, and they wanted us to be certain 
of what we believed for sure, but they also wanted to share their experiences and their interactions with the Savior of the world, okay? Because they knew that there was something much more powerful than just ideas. These were ideas with substance, and then they were seeded in real life. And so as Jessie was sharing her story, I'm thinking, okay, there are some spiritual things that you've learned that we have learned together, truths from Scripture. But then when we see those things lived out and applied and that they're kind of seated in reality, that gives it, gives it its substance. And we realize, wow, this is truth. This is truth. So this morning we're going to look at the beginning of 1 John, and it starts like this. It's 1 John 1, 1 through 7, and this is referring to Jesus. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and don't live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. So this section kind of goes on to discuss the importance of them walking in forgiveness with one another, and that that is one of like the true litmus tests for membership, so to speak, in this new community of Jesus followers, this practical, real-life thing that they would do, where these Christians were known for loving and forgiving one another, for being truth-tellers. Last week, I mentioned my three-year period of questioning God, doubting, I mean, just every single question I could throw at God, and it wasn't an overnight thing. Like I said, it lasted about three years, and one of the things that I thought about deeply was, if the message of Christianity is true, and this message is directly from this creator that designed us, then I should expect it to work properly in real life. Like the truth that he has shared with us should practically meet our deepest needs in a really profound way. I just felt like that's got to be the case. If this is an instruction guide for our life from the Creator to His creation, us, 
then it better relate and it better be practical in everyday life. And that's what I found, that this message really is. I remember talking to a counselor um, that my wife and I were seeing, and um, gosh, she was so, like, I just loved driving to counseling knowing that I was going to see him. I loved what he had to share. I loved the way he listened. Like, I know sometimes there's this stigma about counseling or whatever, um, and I know that it's difficult at times dredging up things from our past, but, man, there was something just so soothing about listening to him as I opened up about my life. And he told me one time, he said, Jim, you know what? I feel like as a counselor, like what I'm consistently going back to is helping people practically learn how to love and forgive one another. Like that's it. Like it's that simple. Like I feel like what I do is I just remind people of the gospel every day. Remind people of the gospel every day. And that hit me too. I remember thinking, as someone who's constantly dealing with other people, the fact that he is continually going back to the gospel, that that is the key to relationships really working. I'm like, wow. It's almost as if God knew what he was doing. And he's behind this entire thing. The thing that strikes me about 1 John is that he's going beyond, beyond theory and kind of theological thoughts, but he includes this hard evidence where he says, we have personally interacted with him. And he uses these kind of terms. We have heard, we have seen, we have touched, and this is what we proclaim. Like there was this direct contact with the senses. And that was part of his reasoning for why he was following Jesus and why they were following Jesus, which is part of kind of 1 Peter 3, which we talked about last week. Always be prepared to give reasons or your reason for the hope that you have. So this, we have seen we have touched, we have heard, we have interacted with. These same terms remind me of somebody on the other side of the aisle who would say, yeah, those things I really need, but it's an in interesting kind of take on it. And that is Thomas, the biblical character Thomas, so one of the disciples, that we get that term doubting Thomas from. And Doubting Thomas was wired very much like Luke um, and, I would say, many of us. He probably wanted to believe in some way, you know, in Jesus, but his heart was not going to accept something that his mind rejected. And when it came to this, all of a sudden, this alarm and this commotion amongst the Jesus followers that Jesus is alive and he's risen from the dead. Um, this is something that Thomas is just like, he's got a much cooler head. 
than the others. The others, like, it's there's excitement, there's um, kind of some craziness going on. And yet, this is how Thomas responds. So John chapter 20, 24 through 29. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, so someone that has walked with Jesus for about three years or so, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other, other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. <laughs> but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, imagine that. The doors are locked, all of a sudden Jesus shows up. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, knowing what Thomas had said. This had to be really kind of creepy. And Thomas just like, oh my gosh. Thomas looks at him, put your finger here. See my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my stop, into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, "My Lord and my God." Then Jesus told him, "Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed." So for us, it might be um, maybe a little bit easier to look back, like we have the advantage of looking back at someone like Thomas and thinking, man, you, you kind of had, you know, you have so little faith. Um, but to me, it's like Thomas is just practical and reasonable in some ways. And the truth is when life really hits us hard and it's painful and it's tough, I think we all have a little bit of Thomas in us. Like, it just gets hard to trust God in certain situations. I think when we're really struggling or we feel like we're barely keeping our head above water financially or something, and we hear, hey, as a, as a community, we are going to give to God's work. That's hard to trust and obey in that. It is hard to love an enemy when we think they don't deserve anything. They're clearly not sorry. And you're asking me to not only love them but forgive them. Relationally, I'm super lonely. And you're asking me, God, to trust and obey this and not have sex with someone that I'm not married to. Like, this is where our doubts and where um, kind of our desire to justify things, it happens, and it comes to the surface. This question of, so God really loves me and yet allows this and this and this to happen? So, I don't know about you guys, but I do feel like this doubting Thomas side of us emerges when we get challenged in life. Now, in Thomas' defense, 
life had just hit him hard. With all the disciples there, you know, they had been faithfully following Jesus for about three years. And Thomas has seen the one that he had hoped in and had followed, thought life was going to be totally, you know, like there's this new hope. This is our Savior. Things are going to change. He literally saw him brutally crucified and shamed in public in front of them. And the hope that Thomas had literally was buried. Like buried. Now Jesus comes back to life and Thomas isn't quite ready to just embrace that. I can imagine thinking, I'm not believing anything this time unless, like, I can see it, touch it, taste it. I need some verification. Kind of makes a vow, maybe. Well, I love, um, like, I enjoy movies. There's something about this ending that when, when, you know, when you connect with certain people within a movie or characters or whatever, and at the very end, they'll kind of roll some credits, or not credits, what do you call it, Joshua Caleb, at the end, where might, they might give you a little extra info about the characters. The end scenes? Okay, cool. He's a film guy, so I'm, tr- I'm going with him. Yeah. And so this is what that would say about if we had watched the movie and, um, and Thomas, a picture of Thomas came up. It would say, Doubting Thomas took risk after risk, courageously proclaiming Jesus, and took the gospel farther than any other disciple to India where he was killed for his faith. A lot of scholars say that's where he ended up. So Thomas, yeah, there was this, I'm not going to believe until I touch this. And I love the fact that those disciples early on were saying, we have experienced and touched these things. Get back to that in a minute. I want to read John 20, 30 through 31. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John has carefully selected these particular stories for a reason. He was very concerned with us having a record of the things that Jesus did to verify who he was, and that is God in the flesh. And then he was really concerned with us having the necessary information to know how to receive this free gift of salvation that Jesus offers us. So that was the reasoning for John putting this together the way he did. Now, when we're looking at, let's say, the Gospel of John, in this case, we have John's word that these things are accurate. I think someone could ask the question, well, could these things have been embellished or exaggerated? When I was going through kind of my period of questioning, that was a question that I had. How do we know that they're just not 
exaggerating, trying to build a following. As I really thought deeply about that, I was never really able to establish a good motive for that. Because by associating themselves with Jesus, it was not going to benefit them in any way. In the end, it meant pain, persecution, ultimately death. So to take a stand for this, if they knew it was a lie, seems unlikely. That doesn't seem like a human nature thing. Knowing full well that it was a concoction just doesn't jibe with human nature. My conclusion is that they endured that persecution and Thomas took that gospel that far because like it said at the beginning of 1 John, they couldn't keep quiet about what they saw with their own eyes, touched with their own hands, and, and that, was, that was it. They just couldn't keep quiet about it. It wasn't just a new way of thinking. It was a new way of life that was verified by the God-man that they walked with. Now, one of the intriguing external facts about Scripture is just how reliable it is in comparison to other documents of its time. And so I had a chart here. And so... Hopefully you can read that a little bit. So these are some, um, some other pieces of literature, ancient pieces, and that a lot of scholars generally would assume like, hey, these are trustworthy and these are reliable. And so we look at like Plato. It's a name that all of us have heard. Um, <clears throat> Plato, Pliny the Younger. You see the earliest copies. There's these, there's like 750 years in between that as to when the original copy they have. So the span of time. And then the number of copies, they have seven of them. All right? As we go down, you see that these authors, the earliest copy that they have is often just hundreds and hundreds of years removed from the time the events have occur occurred, and very few copies, two to ten or so that we see there. As we go down a little bit further in the chart, we see Aristotle and Sophocles and Homer's the Iliad. And so you see there, there's this time frame that's pretty, I mean, it's a pretty good amount of time for all of those documents that really are not questioned all that much. Then when we get down to the New Testament, we see how different it is. Less than a hundred years for the transmission from those stories. And then 5,600 copies where you can then match them and compare them together, which gives you like this, you can nail down about 99.5% of Scripture. So there's 0.5% of what's been transmitted that's kind of in question. Not sure about this, um, but scholars will say that none of that 0.5 has anything to do with any major doctrinal truths. 
So there is this consistency and this reliability in the transmission from the text that is so powerfully like demonstrated in comparison to so much else that's out there. It's a really cool thing that we have. Here's something I just want to suggest. As we have been talking about this series, Unashamed, and us engaging with our friends and our family and those that don't know Jesus. One of the things in First Peter that we discussed last week was, remember at the beginning, it says, be ready to give everyone the reasons or the hope that you have in Jesus, but do this with gentleness and respect. One of the things that has been really helpful for me is if I've had a friend that we've kind of started some spiritual conversation or whatever, um, one thing that I've offered was like, hey, would you be into just us reading the Bible together? Not me, like, let's read this and I'm going to tell you what everything says, or I'm going to try to convince you this is true, but rather, hey, would you be in that, like, let's, we'll read the book of John together and we'll just talk about it. And it's been interesting to see how many times people have said, yeah, that'd be great. So then we just get to sit down and talk through and read through Scripture together and allow God to move in their life. I don't feel like, I'm going to read this and I've got to give you all the answers, but instead, let's read through this together. Um, and it's really neat to see what happens. Um, with this series, guys, that we're in, it is not about getting answers to people's objections and then vomiting those on other people, okay? Um, it doesn't have anything to do with that. I hope that throughout this entire series, what's communicated is that this is not about, like, doing these tick-for-tack, I-want-to-prove-you-wrong answers. What it's about is listening to our friends and finding out what's really going on in their hearts. That only happens when we slow down, we engage sincerely, and we ask clarifying questions. We allow others to share their hearts with us. I think that's what God was after when he said to do this with gentleness and respect. Respect for our friends when we're engaging in spiritual conversations, and this is with anybody, even with the most militant atheist that's angry, respect for them is extremely important regardless of how they come across. Because what that communicates to them is that somebody, like God values them. They are somebody that God values and Jesus died for. And we need to keep that in mind. So in finishing the band, you guys can come up here as I finish here. The apostles, they were clearly unashamed, motivated, 
and excited to share with the world what they had seen and what they had heard and what they had experienced. They had verification. They had these really solid reasons for the hope that they had. And so do we. And I love that Jesus was even thinking about us. He talked about us when he was talking about Thomas, to Thomas. He said, blessed are you. You believe now because you, you know, you touched me and you believe. Blessed are those who come later who don't get to do this and still believe. That is us. We don't have the luxury of being right there and experience that we're looking back in faith, and yet God knew that we were coming down the road and that God would actually use Thomas to reach other people that never got to experience what Tom, Thomas did. It's crazy. Amazing foresight that obviously God has. So let's pray. God, thank you so much that even as you lovingly confronted Thomas about his doubting there, um, you used him tremendously as he courageously took your truth. Like, he took it a long ways away. And he reached people for you. And we're just thankful that you are using us in that same way that even at that moment we're speaking about us. Blessed are those who come on down the road, down the pike, years from now, centuries from now, that follow me and have never gotten to see this, but they believe in faith. And so, God, we ask that you strengthen our faith as we see the reliability of these documents, that we see the reliability of these lives, the credibility, and the fact that the gospel works for reality. We're just thankful for that. God, thank you for this morning, time to engage with you and each other. In Jesus' name.